Hello and welcome to Quiz Time India. I'm your host and quiz master Aditya. Hi, my name is Abhinav Das Gupta and I'm really excited to be on this week's Quiz Time India. Uh, one of Yahoo's biggest problems. Now the rhyme refers to three geese in a flock. The war fought by the French against the British. This is about a Frenchman who lived from 1611 to 1673. So David Bowie used a machine called the verbicizer. Hey Robert Maxwell and Rupert Murdoch. Welcome to Quiz Time India. Hello and welcome to Quiz Time India. I'm your host and quiz master Aditya. Here is another episode full of facts, trivia and questions. Like, did you know 33% of most viewed stories on Instagram are from businesses and not from individuals? Did you know Next to Qutub Minar is Alai Minar, commissioned by Alauddin Khilji. Khilji died, construction stopped. Too bad. If you like such medieval and modern gems, then you have come to the right place. Quiz Time India, India's first quizzing podcast. And up first in this episode, as always, is the matter of the audience question. In the last episode, we had Ishita Das join us on the podcast, and this was her audience question. I am talking about a lady Sunali Agarwal. She is the co-founder of MobiQuick, okay? And recently Sunali has launched an app called Aya, A Y A Aya. So my question to audience is what is this app about and how is this app unique? That's what I want to know. And the correct answer is Aya, which stands for as you are. is promoted as a safe lgbtq dating app in india and the one to give the correct answer was arti nayar congratulations arti very well done thank you so much for participating every episode on this podcast has a audience question which is usually towards the end of the episode even this episode has one and you can answer it over social media and now moving on to this week's episode This week on the podcast we have Abhinav Das Gupta. Abhinav when he is not promoting digital payments as director at Visa, he remains one of the mainstays of the Bombay Quiz Club where he has been treasurer since 2012. A former president of the Quiz Club at his alma mater St Stephen's College, Abhinav has quizzed in all major cities in the country. Yeah, and he has to his credit four podium finishes at the prestigious landmark quiz including winning the mumbai round in 2011 as quiz master abhinav has been a regular at the annual mumbai quiz festival since its second edition in 2012 having co-hosted the festival's flagship mumbai open quiz in 2014 17 18 and 19 along with several other quizzes in mumbai abhinav has also conducted quizzes at quiz festivals and for quiz clubs in kolkata hyderabad delhi and pune I am quite excited about having Abhinav here on the podcast. I have attended a few of his quizzes at the Bombay Quiz Club and it's an honor and a pleasure to have him here. So now, without any further ado, welcome to Quiz Time India. Hello Abhinav, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Welcome to Quiz Time India. How have you been? Thank you very much Aditya great to be here uh privileged to be able to speak to you So Abhinav the deal is quite simple over the next half an hour or so 
we both will be trading trivia trading questions trading interesting facts that we have come across and hopefully with us our audience also gets to figure out some new interesting trivia some new food for thought absolutely look forward to it so the rule is quite simple since i am the host and you are the guest i'll ask you the first question if you know the answer well and good if you don't and if you need any hints please ask me for hints i will give you hints as in i can i'll nudge you towards the answer and similarly when you asking me the questions and if i need any hints i'll ask you for hints it is quizzing but it is not so competitive as our regular quizzing just the way i like it man perfect so abhinav are you ready for your first question absolutely by the way all right so the story begins in the year 2000 This one gentleman called Louis Van Aan. He was starting his PhD program in computer science when he attended a talk and he happened to learn that one of Yahoo's remember it is you know 2000 so Yahoo is one of the biggest IT or tech giants at that time and during the talk he came to know that uh, one of Yahoo's biggest problems at that moment was that automated bots were signing up for millions of free yahoo email accounts and then they were generating tons of spam this talk got louis thinking and he subsequently came up with a solution can you tell me what this solution was probably a, a the captcha right that perfect perfect he came up with the idea of captcha so these are the squiggly letters we type into a website to prove we are human and the idea worked clearly and what also happened is that he gave away the idea for free ah he didn't make that. any money out of captcha but now here is your main question but years later the same idea evolved into a new way for him to monetize this time in the form of an app today the popular app is valued at 1.5 billion dollars it is used globally and is seeing a big spike in growth while people are confined to their homes can you tell me louis von an the man who invented captcha he used similar technology which he utilized in a, another app which seems to be doing extremely well especially since covid since the lockdown that is the question i frankly have no idea but i mean since it's at the same technology um take a wild guess and say zoom for no particular reason just for the just because of the fact that it's it's shot up in valuation uh thanks to covid in fact i saw the share price actually sinking the day pfizer announced its vaccine <laughs> that is a good guess but uh, you are actually thinking on the right lines so zoom is one of the tools which has been uh, is being used quite regularly and quite frequently ever since the pandemic hit but that is not the answer so as i said it was these squiggly letters that we use for captcha the technology that you can write these weird letters he used it in a different app a app which uses these letters and machine learning to do what its job is uh, is this that uh, does that Google app right it's called is it called Google Lens or one of those the one that converts handwriting to text no but you are sort of in the ballpark somewhere 
now you are at least thinking i think you are thinking in the right lines i could say um no i don't know sorry i not okay. so i follow too well all right so let me uh, tell you something more about louis vuitton i said he gave away the idea for free right but not entirely he did get a gig using captcha he got a gig with new york times so new york times was having some trouble digitizing their backlog of articles which go- goes up to like 100 years ago yeah and uh, they were using machines to do it but every once in a while there would be words which the machine could not understand in fact they actually so, call it the times machine because you can go back in time to read the times it's called the times machine <laughs> ah that anyway, makes sense so yeah so there were these words from the old articles which were thousands and thousands of such words which the machine could not translate mm. so new york times gave it to louis von ahn and uh, louis uh, basically made those letters into captchas so people like you and me and all over the world we were basically helping the new york times when we were filling in the captcha so that was one thing that he did he made some money out of it but then he used that core of the technology which was these writing letters and alphabets into a different idea where you could teach people languages so say if i have to teach someone hindi he used the technology of writing those letters into making a hindi script and then he put a whole lot of machine learning algorithms on top of it and then he put that in a app a app which goes by the name of duolingo yeah so duolingo is the app it uh, has been around for a while now and ever since the pandemic hit of course it has seen a great spike because people were at home and they had a lot of time in hand so duolingo was the answer very nice very nice question i didn't know duolingo was valued at a billion and half pretty pretty neat have you used duolingo no not at all I'm clearly not doing what most people do at home. All right. Now, it's your turn to ask me the question. Okay, sure. Please. But thank you. I think uh, that's a tough one to match. But what I have for you Aditya is five questions that are that are largely themed on literature in some sense, but all the five are connected by a theme, right? And if you figure out the theme, you'll figure it out. If not, I'll anyway let you know. Uh but don't worry right. too much about that. Just each question uh, on its own so here's the first question right so i'm referring to mm-hmm. a traditional children's rhyme as it was then called and you know the first time it was published in an anthology uh, called types of children's literature a collection of the world's best literature for children right and it was published exactly 100 years ago so in 1920 it's a traditional rhyme but uh, okay. it was published in this anthology called types of children's Now the rhyme refers to three geese in a flock, right? Three geese in a flock, two mm-hmm. of which flew in opposite direction. Okay, that's all I'm okay. telling you right now. And if you need more hints, I'll actually tell you what the what the actual rhyme is. But all I'm telling you right now is that the rhyme refers to three geese in a flock, two of which flew in opposite directions. My question mm-hmm. is, where or how exactly did the third one fly? All right. If that sounds completely vague, I'll <laughs> okay, let me just uh, get all the facts around. So, 1920, this anthology of children's rhymes was printed, and one of uh, these rhymes or poems yeah. was about mentioned three geese, three geese in a flock. Yeah, in a flock, and uh, they two of them went in opposite different directions, direction, right? opposite directions, and 
we have to tell where did the third one go all right so is it something to do with is it a, wait is it a translation of no it's an english, it english it's an poem it's an english poem okay very specific answer a geese okay let me just think i was uh... think about it and i can tell you the rhyme i can tell you the actual rhyme so is this a part of another famous uh, rhyme no 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 really. it's a, it's a, it's like a nursery rhyme think of it like a nursery rhyme traditional rhyme anonymously written we don't really know who wrote it but yeah okay it's first in print in i so we have to tell which rhyme it is no basically no you don't which... need to, you just need to tell me where the third one go and i tell you that that part you know where the third one flew is a different is the title of a different aha okay i have a guess because okay. it's of the uh, what is the word ornithologically <laughs> i'm just going in those lines yes so it flew over the cuckoo's nest absolutely right aditya that's correct so the rhyme goes oh, yeah. like this wintry mintry cutery corn apple seed and apple corn wire briar limber lock three geese in a flock one flew east one flew west and one flew over the cuckoo's nest brilliant brilliant i mean i could Super. not have right imagine that there was totally a guess great right, great right that was such a rewarding question aha that was i had never knew of this oh brilliant brilliant And of course, I'm so happy uh, with the first question. Yeah, well done indeed. And one flew over the cuckoo's nest, book by Ken Kesey. Uh, probably most of us are familiar with the movie, a 1975 film with uh, Jack Nicholson, uh, Louis Fletcher, uh, which in fact uh, was one of the three movies to win the big five Oscars, right? Picture, director, actor, actress, and screenplay made a clean sweep. Aha. Uh-huh. Which other movies have done that? Uh, ben Hur. No, not Ben Hur. Actually, it happened one night in 1934, and then the Silence mm-hmm. of the Lambs in 1991. So, oh, 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 Silence of the Lambs yeah. also. Yeah. I didn't know that. Anthony Hopkins and uh, Jodie Foster. And who was the director of the Silence of the Lambs? I keep forgetting his name. Uh, Jonathan Demme. Jonathan Demme. Jonathan Demme. I think so. Yeah. All right, Abhinav. Th- that question brought a smile to my face. I really. would not have thought for the life of me but that was the answer but here we are thank you so much all right back to you so my next question is from a news item that came out recently and i found it quite interesting so i thought i'll make a question out of it uh have you heard of the eurovision song contest yes not that i know too much about it but yeah ask away get to know some stuff ha huh. <laughs> So it is an international song contest it does a eurovision so basically it's a song contest each country sends an artist or a band and they perform and at the end the jury picks out one winner now this year due to covid there could not be any eurovision which is understandable but the dutch broadcasters vpro that's the name of the broadcaster or the channel they went ahead and came up with a contest which was sort of unofficial but for all practical purposes it was called eurovision 2020 and in this contest each team partnered with a rather unusual partner so each country's uh, team partnered with something really unusual can you tell me who was this partner so you're telling me it's a different partner for each country right i mean not like one single person 
same same partner so the same partner who went with each of the countries yeah okay is it uh, again sort of while you guessing is it someone like smule you know the what is smule again that that music app thingy it is not smule or it, you you need a person or or something or or, or i don't know could it be karaoke for instance it's okay you are thinking on the right lines that it is not a person that we are pondering upon was smule something like dub smash or musically or one of those apps yeah yeah one of those things where basically you have you have the actual singer singing and you kind of sing to it it's actually ah, okay but no i can't think of anything else uh, tell me something else uh so as i said it's not human that right, component right, right. which was added it is something technological and uh, something that has been in the news for a while and uh, 2018 francois pache actually this thing has existed existed for a while but francois pache in 2018 took it to a different level and uh, created a uh, complete new pop album which was called hello world with this partner does this help you I, in any way i vaguely remember this hello world thing um now have have no clue tell me more okay uh, the album was called hello world does what does hello yeah, world hello world is like basically what the teacher supports first right exactly so there was a reason why he francois kept the name hello world for that album does this help you was it alexa or closish closish or or cd or one of those days so i'll tell you the answer basically they used an ai engine to compose right. music yeah okay good enough yeah so uh, ai music has existed for a while right. you can go to youtube and uh, you can listen to whole bunch of ai music across genres in uh, 2018 francois pache uh composed an entire pop album using artificial intelligence and he very cheekily called it hello world so this year because uh, every country's you know every performer was pretty much sitting at home in their different places so this time the dutch broadcasters vpro asked them to collaborate with ai so germany their entry was uh, what they did was they took 1950s and uh, even before some old recordings of church choir singing a cappella ah oh, okay fed it to ai and then the ai worked on it and of course uh, the humans also played uh, some part in it in some type of instrumentation but most of the heavy lifting was done by ai for australia they put sounds of koalas and kangaroos what because, was australia uh, doing in eurovision yeah so it was open for all this year <laughs> it's an international thing so i think anyone can send their entry perhaps But yeah, Australia. What they did was they took sounds uh, which are made by koalas and uh, kangaroos, Interesting. Yeah. and uh, they fed them to AI, and AI used those sounds in a very sneaky manner to come up with a track. And the idea of the track was, of course, that Australia had a big bushfire almost right. a year back, yeah. so they wanted to raise awareness about it. So that's why the koala and the kangaroo sounds and fed into a ai and actually australia as i said won the eurovision contest this year really wow that's interesting i mean uh, ai writes poetry as well and stuff like i'm glad that you mentioned it i was looking up about uh, you know computers and poetry yeah. so david bowie 
used a machine called the verbicizer correct to randomize lyrics because he felt that humans can only think in certain patterns right so he would just take some words throw it in the verbalizer verbicizer rather and the, he the verbicizer would just rearrange the words and some of his lyrics are actually made using that because he said sometimes the sense the way computer processes or parses the words in such manner that it can have more than one sense so bobby has done that and uh, yeah as you said ai poetry is there i'm sure verbicizer wrote better than he did <laughs> i was actually listening to some bobby today i'll take offense to that <laughs> all right It's okay. time for your next question. Sure, thank you. So, uh, you know, we spoke about two birds flying east and west. My next question yes. also has an east and west theme, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, sticking to this theme, the first two lines of a particular poem, it's a poem you know, it's quite uh, well known. Uh, the first two lines of this poem are wrongfully quoted as an example of the poet's inherent racism. Now, I'll tell you that that allegation is not unfounded. I mean, there are several other examples of racism in his works. But my point okay. is that this is not one of them, right? Because if Fair you enough. care to read beyond the first and second lines, the third and mm-hmm. fourth lines themselves say that when two equals, in this case, the English colonel's son and a border chieftain called Kamal meet, their only mm-hmm. criteria for judging each other are character and prowess and not accidents of birth or ethnicity or anything like that, right? Hmm, hmm. So it's not that there is a racist theme in this poem at all contrary to what you know people who just quote the two lines kind of from uh, hmm. a game. So according to the opening lines what will never happen till earth and sky stand presently at God's great judgment seat. All right. So a poem written by I'm assuming someone famous someone very famous someone we all know. Yeah. and his works uh, or his uh, thoughts have uh, been bordering on racial yeah uh, racist rather yes on quite a few instances but this is not one of them although it may seem like it correct if you just read the first two lines independently that's what it seems you read the rest of it you know that's not it the following lines are could you repeat the lines the sun and the yeah yeah so the third and fourth line say that when the english colonel's son and a border chieftain called kamal meet their only criteria for judging each other are character and prowess and not accidents of birth or ethnicity right so according to the opening lines and i'm coming to the first two lines that are considered racist so according to the opening lines what will never happen till earth and sky stand presently at god's great judgment seat so these lines what will never happen are the third fourth lines no no they're the they're the first and second okay so there is something in there yeah there's something that... in there that is uh, yeah and i told you that we that we stick to yeah. previous that there's a link to the previous question right we saw two birds flying east and west so yeah interesting there are lots of i'm just thinking of <laughs> racist things one could say <laughs> but i can't think i don't think that's the right line to go forward with but let me just think sure sure john morhens happy to mm uh, could you repeat the phrase or the, the line again something will never happen until the till earth and sky stand presently at god's great judgment seat 
and that's actually a quote right i'm colonel, not making up those lines myself yeah 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 and uh, the colonel uh, colonel colson and the and then afghan chieftain called kamal border chieftain called kamal interesting i'm not thinking who could be the poet that's one yeah, way that's, of thinking of right, it that's because right way to think about it think of authors poets who are, you know generally regarded racist and that kind of yeah is he british yes yes uh, is he is he the uh, who's the guy who won the nobel prize yeah he did win the nobel prize you're right uh in fact he was the no, first person from his country to win yeah 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 i'm i'm not a bernard russell what was his name not george bernard shaw also uh, shot at win the nobel to in 25 but before him. yeah uh terrible decision if you ask me to give him the nobel prize while tolstoy was still alive was he born in india oh yeah very much so मोगली I thought maybe he started Jungle Book with these lines. I don't know. I... So uh, shall I give it out? So this is yeah, a please. So this is a poem called "The Ballad of East and West," right? And the first line is probably the most famous of all. It goes, "Oh, East is East and West is West, and never the twain shall meet ah. till earth and sky stand presently at God's great judgment seat." Right? Those are the first two lines, and then it goes on to say, "But." There is neither east nor west, border nor breed nor birth. When two strong men stand face to face, though they come from the ends of the earth, right? So he actually negates what he is saying in the first line, right? Typically, uh-huh. one often quotes yeah. this east is east and west is west, and never the twain shall meet, saying that you know they are completely two different worlds. Kipling also kept talking about the white man's burden and things like that, right? And so yeah. you know, quite often when you look at this line. Uh, in an isolated way it does seem to be racist but then he goes on to say that you know there's neither east nor west no border no breed nor birth when two strong men stand face to face though they come from the ends so this is the ballad of east and west and uh, this is about how never the twain shall meet again it's one of those lines that he, one has heard Correct. but i'm i never sure. knew this was the origin of it or this was the context in which it was used or rather written thank you so much that was a good one All right. So the next question is uh, something very interesting that I found recently, and uh, it's rather ironical that this thing happened, or rather happens. That I thought, you know what? Let me try and make a question out of it, and uh, perhaps the audience will also see the humor in it, which I at least thought was slightly a twist of fate, or call it whatever you want to. So God save the Queen. the british national anthem the first recorded performance of god save the queen was in 1745 and when i say recorded i mean uh, it was noted rather than you know recording of it so it was noted that in 1745 god save the queen was first sung and it was sung by there was a drury lane d r u r y drury lane in london and there was this certain kind of establishment there 
and the male members of this establishment announced that they intend to form a special unit of volunteer defense force and after the announcement they went on to sing god save the queen so basically the idea is the male members of this establishment said they will be forming a special force and if required they would be ready to go and fight with the queen's army so that was their stance and uh, they made this announcement and then they went on to sing god save the queen and the news spread the news spread that such and such incident had happened the local newspapers covered it then the news spread even further now it spread all over britain and a lot of similar establishments started following suit until eventually the song was ado- adopted as the national anthem can you tell me what was this rather unusual establishment of whose male members started singing the the to be national anthem and it has a very really random indian connect too which would be visible i hope after you give out the answer i get the answer that is um no i mean rudy lane rings a bell i've probably heard about it in cases or something but i can't place it at the moment um although 1745 i guess would have been god save the king not queen i think that i need to verify actually um but yeah 745 um and what has an indian connection did you say the answer so yeah a vague vague indian connection so i think so, uh, this establishment yeah. people started singing national anthem and the news uh, got into the papers and of course once it reached the papers it reached a bigger audience and the news reached mm-hmm. all across britain and there were many other such establishments and the members of those establishments also started doing singing the national anthem and it became sort of a tradition and eventually with time god save the queen got adopted as the national anthem before that it was just a song but it gained popularity thanks to these folks at this particular establishment it's okay if you don't know the answer i'll give you a hint because there's not much for uh, you to play with here No, I'll take a guess before that. Uh, was it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm just thinking of what could be ironical. Was this the place where you would have uh, immigrants typically living, and hence, uh, you know, then again, uh, what becomes the national anthem is sort of ironical. Oh uh, no, no, that's a good guess, but that is not the answer. So, this Drury Lane establishment. I'll give out the answer. Or was it? Uh, I just. Take one more guess. Is this where the brothels were? Ah, uh, no, no, no. It wasn't where the brothels were. Okay, yeah, yeah. So it was theaters. So before a performance, mm-hmm. one day the male performers said this, and then a lot of theaters across Britain, before the performance, they would sing the national anthem, which I thought was quite funny because two hundred something odd years later in India, that's what we're doing before every movie opens. <laughs> we stand up for the national anthem. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Very nice. very nice uh, panda so to say yeah very so nice. you were as i said there was not much to play with here except for that i just found it quite interesting no but it's good i mean honestly drury lane i should have recalled is where the theaters used to be yes that's right aha uh-huh. very nice okay all right yeah so this is about uh, you know sort of similar timing but a century ago uh, from your question This is about a Frenchman who lived from 1611 to 
by the name of Charles de Bots de Castelmore. Right? Charles is spelled Charles, C H A R L E S. Charles de Bots de Castelmore, who basically served Louis the Fourteenth, who was the King of France, as uh, captain of the guards and so on. And he was killed at the siege of Maastricht in the Franco-Dutch War, right, in 1673. Now the mm-hmm. question is, the thing is, he was he had a noble title. He was count of something, count of a certain place. And mm-hmm. uh, around a couple of centuries later, you know, his life was the basis of uh, a very very famous literary work from the same country, right, from France. So the question is, what was this person also known as? Right, he was count of what? Count of which place or whatever? So count of what? Because that mm. name was also used for the name of the character in the nineteenth century. Let me. Okay, we have a theme which could help me. Yes, exactly. And uh, then there is the fact nineteenth century famous work, very very famous again of literature. All of us have read, if not read it, read about France. Yeah. No, no, not Robin Hood. Once again, sorry, that's not French. Where was Don Quixote? That was Spanish, and uh, that was ah, in fact yeah. uh, in the seventeenth, early seventeenth century. Quixote and Shakespeare apparently died on the same day. Oh, <laughs> I did not know that. Well, let me think about this. Uh, so we have an East-West theme going on, and then there is this uh, French. Well, the East-West is not the theme. <laughs> There's a different theme, which uh, uh-huh. which maybe I'll reveal after the last question. I'm missing it. Quite interesting. Or maybe the theme is then. Uh... Anyway, so let me go back. Uh, France. 19th century, you said, right? Famous piece of work. Very, very famous piece of work, based on the life of this uh, 17th century guy, who was a captain of the king's guard, and and uh, this mm-hmm. was the real guy. I mean, his name was used for you know, that character, and uh, it's largely a fictionalized account of this guy's life. I'm thinking, who could it be? French. Uh... Any hints that you could possibly give me? Yes, sure. Um, so, see, nineteenth-century French literature. There are uh, probably you know, two or three writers who come to mind, and uh, this author, uh, this author, in fact, uh, his son were both well-known authors, uh, had the same name, uh, and they were called. You know, the author's name is X Y. He was called X Y Pair, which is father X Y. And the son was called X Y Peel, which is son X Y. Right? They had the same name. Father. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was written by the father. Uh, it's widely translated. We've all read the book as a kid. Uh, it uh, it had a couple of very famous sequels too. Although the original book is what is uh, best known, but the sequels are also widely read. And he, the original person on which it was loosely based, was. This, and okay, in fact, I'll also tell you that the. Story is also set in the same period, right? It is set in the 17th century yeah. during the reign of uh, Louis the Fourteenth. That might help. So it's like a period romance, so to say. A romance. I mean, romance not in the strictest sense. You know, a tale of romance mm. used for a tale of adventure and things like that. So ah, uh, I, I think this is one of those where you reveal the answer and I'll be like ah, but. 
let me just give one more yeah, shot before yeah, we yeah, go there. Yeah, I guess very very famous uh, book. Right now, I'm drawing a total blank when I'm trying to think of French characters or name the book. That's fine. You'll get points hmm. or whatever. <laughs> Virtual pat on the back. Yeah, I am at sixes and sevens. I'm lost. Uh, you'll have to tell me the answer. Okay, so this person. by the name of Charles de Bax de Castelmore was the count of Artania right so of oh. of Artania is the Artania d apostrophe Artania and in and which book the, the three musketeers the three musketeers absolutely so this and is alexander duma alexander duma who was you know duma pair and his son was duma pil right uh, i didn't know that the father something yeah yeah so Alexander Duma was in fact mixed race like i believe his, his father was a mulatto uh, so, yeah it was yeah so quite interesting wonderful author in fact uh, most of his stories were not written by himself he had a like, the stories were cooked up by a different guy uh, whose name i am currently okay. forgetting but he was the one who actually uh, put them to pen and paper the actual plots were uh, by someone else and oh i'm completely blanking on the name but the deal is that he uh you know life kind of comes full circle because alexander duma actually died in complete penury and this guy whose name like i said i can't remember at all uh the whole deal about him not revealing his name was you know him getting a lot of money in the process so he he ended up being fairly rich by the time he died so I was watching The Hateful Eight. Right. Have you seen the movie? No, I have. Uh, there's a passage about Okay, so uh, one of the characters uh, is called Datanian and he is shown as a extremely racist person who is extremely violent also towards the black people on the plantation and uh, one of the characters draws this uh, sort of ironical Uh, brings it forward that you know Alexander Duma was also as you said mixed race so probably he wouldn't have liked so much if Tartanian was a racist but yeah that was the answer i did not know that again <laughs> thank you so much for this it's all dials today for me and likewise for me <laughs> who were the other two athos and porthos right athos porthos and aramis in fact the three musketeers datania was the fourth uh, musket right so oh yes athos porthos and aramis were the three musketeers Also, the final question from Slumdog Millionaire. Oh, that's right. Yes, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> All right. So, Thank are you. you ready for your next question? Go ahead. This we go to 1756, and we go to France. Very nice. Let's so, the multiple stories behind the origin of this food item. Pretty much all revolve around a war fought by the French. against the british at port mahon on the mediterranean island of minorca now a part of spain so french fought british in spain the year was 1756 the french won and the chef of the duke de richelieu i hope i'm getting the yeah, name richelieu, right yeah. was asked to prepare a rather grand meal and he could not find some of the ingredients that he was looking for I mean it was a war at the end of it so he improvised and he came up with something a food item which is famous which is still consumed throughout the world rather can you tell me what food item could this be 
the answer is somewhere there in the question hmm. thank you guess this the spanish omelet no that is a good guess that's a good guess but no you said menorca uh, which is uh, mm-hmm. they are mediterranean island yes and things in short supply so he would is uh, yeah and this led to something which is consumed even till this day actually there are a few food historians which say that this item actually came from the spaniards and uh, this guy took it from them but one thing that everyone agrees is that the french definitely popularized the item actually so 1756 is when this was invented at least the story begins in 1756 by early 19th century that is another 60 70 years later this food item had began to appear in german and british cookbooks dedicated to french cuisine so that means the germans and the british knew about it in the next 50 odd years that they started mentioning in their french cookbooks they started mentioning this item and that was in 1800 early 1800 and then it made its way to the united states so a lot of french chefs migrated there to us and uh, it is said that in 1838 a gourmet eatery delmonico's in manhattan was offering this item that was 1838 and then it spread it spread through america until in 1923 it was probably a slow news day and uh, us president calvin coolidge the press asked him what is one food item that you love the most and uh, the us president calvin coolidge said that uh, he simply could not do without this food item made by his aunt mary it went in all newspapers and uh, everyone was like oh this is amazing and everyone started consuming this food item and you know once things uh, become big in america they tend to travel all over the world yeah. and now all of us pretty much know of it So that's the story of sorts behind this food item. So interesting. Um, I don't know really is can't be the croissant. I mean, but probably there much. Not the croissant. Yeah, is this uh, is this what is colloquially called French toast? That was. Ah uh, no, 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 no. No, French toast is not French to the best of my knowledge. Most of these things with adjectives are from countries that are different from. It's like Spanish food. <laughs> yeah, like French fries is uh, Belgium. Belgium, if I'm not mistaken. So no, I give up. Uh, tell me what's this? So okay, I'll just repeat the thing again. Let's see if you get it. So French defeated British in Spain at Port Mahon on the Mediterranean island of Menorca, Spain. Ah, so this is uh, okay. So mayonnaise is what you mean. Yes. I think I missed the name of that. Oh, I should have adjusted. Yeah, Port Mahon. Yeah, and uh, the food historians, as I said, uh, some of them said that uh, it mayonnaise was a Spanish food item. From mahon, they, right? mayonnaise. Yeah, so they called it salsa mahonesa. Right. Mahonesa became mayonesa, mayonnaise. So yeah, that was the story of mayonnaise. I should just have asked you to repeat the name. I completely missed that name. <laughs> so the chef uh, could not find a sauce, so he just uh, improvised and took some eggs and uh, butter. started uh, you know beating them up until it got a consistency which 
it was similar to that of a sauce and uh, yeah. the news spread the story spread it was all over france and uh, by early 19th century as i said germany and british cookbooks dedicated to french cuisine started mentioning mayonnaise then the french chefs took it to america in 1838 at least we have the first mention of a store uh, called delmonico's in manhattan which was serving mayonnaise and then in 1923 president calvin coolidge said that he simply could not do without his aunt mary's heavenly homemade mayonnaise and then everything that it just went very nice question all right now you turn for your fourth question sure so uh we'll come from the you know fancy french and english literature to something more modern uh also english but this is i'm talking about a fairly popular novel from 1996 i'll tell you who the author is uh, but uh, it's a 96 novel uh, which chronicles the lives of these two media barons uh, called richard armstrong and keith townsend again immaterial and uh, the book is based on two real life media barons right robert maxwell and rupert murdoch mm-hmm. so um, the title of the novel is uh, you know like i said it's a it's it's based on the media right just keep that in mind uh, the title of mm-hmm. the novel is based is basically a phrase that was uh, that is largely attributed to a person called edmund burke right edmund burke was a member of parliament in the 18th century very well known writer uh, mm-hmm. so the title and which is a very common phrase used today as well uh, was attributed to edmund burke right in the 18th mm. century so what is the name of the novel like i said it's about the media and everything else about robert maxwell rupert murdoch fictionalized version mm-hmm. these characters so which 1996 book am i talking about i'm happy to give you the name of the author if you all right so uh, let me just uh, gather around all the facts 1996 book has a name and uh, the book is about as you said uh, two f- two of the leading media barons media barons yeah and the name of the book is uh, one could say it was coined by the edmund burke edmund burke disputed mm. but largely attributed to him but it's a mm. still used very widely to refer to what i just spoke and hmm i'm thinking of i don't know i'm thinking famous phrases which could be book titles yeah yeah two words really in addition to an article uh you know the first word is the but uh, okay two word article uh, two word okay that helps because i was i don't know i was thinking all agatha christie yeah, yeah. titles <laughs> and then there were none and things like that murder on the orient express all of them death comes as the end and then you know hypocritically yeah. dark and what not but no so two words the stash stash something something and uh, uh edmund burke was in 19 uh, 1800 you said something 18th century 1797 is the new oh. right if i'm not wrong but it's a it's a phrase that's still widely used uh, huh who was the author the of author, 1996 yeah, the author was jeffrey archer ah i have not read definitely not read this one and not read actually much of jeffrey archer's work but let's see jeffrey archer that is a good place to start what was one of his famous the uh, hmm 
Okay. Actually, this is now just a guessing game for yeah. me because I don't know of the Jeffrey Archer title, and uh, I mean, if you could give me a hint, yeah. that could help. Otherwise, I would need the answer. Because... No, I'll, I'll give you a the hint that I was withholding. I'll give you. It's a phrase yeah. used to describe the media. Oh, that helps. That helps. That's the one key thing I was missing. So it must be the fourth pillar. The fourth estate. The fourth estate. Yes, the fourth estate. Aha. Uh-huh. So this is the fourth estate by Jeffrey Archer, and uh, do you know what the three estates are? I mean, why is the media the fourth estate? So it's uh, judiciary is one, then executive is one. Who's the third one? And legislature? No, um, no. Actually, although you're not entirely incorrect, so this is uh, the Commons is one, of course, the House of Commons, and uh, the Lord Spiritual and the Lord Temporal. So the Lord Spiritual is basically the Church of England and the Lord Temporal is the House of Lords, right? The peers. So those oh. are the three key estates of the English establishment. And the fourth estate, as Edmund Burke put it, is the media who is supposed to be the watchdog on these three estates. Right? So Correct. the media is called the fourth estate. Oh, the fourth pillar also is uh, alternately used as you rightly said, but the fourth estate is the name of it. Uh, could you repeat again, uh, what were the three uh, pillars, the House of Commons? So, the Commons is one, uh, the, yeah. and the other two are the Lord's Spiritual and the Lord's Temporal. So, the Lord's Spiritual is basically the Church of England, uh, yeah. and the Lord's Temporal is the House of Lords, right? The upper house of the English man, British man. Okay. Their Rajasabha. Their Rajasabha. That just reminds me randomly of the fact uh, that I had read a while back. Again, I can't verify it uh, right now, but possibly you might have heard it. The fact that uh, right now, how we describe ideologies as, uh, you know, left and right, the reason is uh, pretty much uh, because the left ideologies and the right ideologies were sitting in the parliament, like their actual position in the parliament, they were sitting towards the left-hand side, so they became left, and those... uh, which belonged to the right ideology was sitting towards the right. Absolutely right, which is exactly how it is. Alright, so Abhinav, that brings us to the end of this episode, but there is one tiny matter of the audience question. And then I need to tell you the theme as well later. (laughs) So the audience has heard all the questions. The first one was uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. So the second one was... Never uh, shall meet. Never the Twain Shall Meet. And uh, that was by uh, Rudyard Kipling. Kipling. Then the third one was uh, our Kipling. French uh, Count uh, D'Artagnan. Yeah. Alexander Dumas. And now we had Jeffrey Archer. The so these are all authors okay. of repute. Is that the theme? No, that's, that's not the theme. It can't be authors of repute. Uh, but, but, <laughs> but if you look at but, but look at the answers. One flew over the cuckoo's nest. Never the Twain Shall Meet. The three musketeers and the fourth. Oh, okay. Right? That was beautiful. So there you go. That was beautiful. So, so the fifth question, therefore, we'll give it away. But over to you. Yeah. <laughs> so, you can ask the question now. And for our listeners who think they have cracked the answer and who have figured out the, uh, all the hints that have been uh, laid across for us. All you have to do is send in your answers to at the rate quiz time India on Facebook and on Instagram or on, on the other handle, which is at the rate podcast studio 41 on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can tweet or you can DM us the answer 
and uh, we will pick out one winner. That's how we normally do it. So Abhinav, please ask your last question or the audience question. Sure. Thank you, Aditya. So uh, this is about a person called Claude Boilier, uh, again, French author, Claude Boilier, uh, who was born Andre Ladadon. So she's a lady, actually, who wrote under a male pseudonym, as some people did back in the day. So we'll, we'll call her Claude Boilier, which was the pen name. Uh, so Claude Boilier uh, was a prolific short story writer in French, uh, but is best known in the Anglophone world, the English-speaking world, for her continuation of a certain series of novels. Right, which she had initially translated into mm-hmm. French after the original author's death. Mm-hmm. So what happened was she started uh, translating that author's works into French. And then once the original author died, she started a continuation series in French. Yeah. Mm. And uh, so from 1971 to 1985, 15 years, and all of this was after the original author died, she produced 25 novels originally in French, right? And 18 mm-hmm. of which were then translated into English uh, by Anthea Bell. Uh, Anthea Bell, of course, we know as the translator of Asterix along with uh, Derek Hockridge. So Anthea Bell actually translated 18 of these 25 novels from French back to English. So it's a lovely coincidence, right, that the original novels got translated from English to French and then uh, the continuation part was originally written in French by the same author and then translated back into English by Antia Lovely coincidence in the literary world. So, Absolutely. the question is, which series are we talking about? Alright, so that is the question. That is the question, the name of the series which went all over the place from English to French and... Uh, Basically made two rounds of the English channel. <laughs> Absolutely, you could put it that way. Dover to Calais and then came back to Dover. So you have to send in the answers, as I mentioned, uh, at the rate quiz time India on Facebook and on Instagram. And uh, this is a podcast studio 41 podcast. So at the rate podcast studio 41 on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And Abhinav, thank you so much for taking out the time for doing this. It has been an absolute pleasure. And uh, I must say, if I can say that, that... It's one of the episodes that I really enjoyed. Thank you for putting the effort for coming up with these questions and I enjoyed the questions. Thank you so much. Yeah. Pleasure was mine, Aditya. Like I said, it's a privilege to be on this podcast. I've seen some of the other people who preceded me on this. So it's uh, it's, it's quite lovely to be part of that distribution list. And uh, thank you very much for your questions. Uh, loved what you came up with as well. Uh, so really, really enjoyed it. And uh, thanks to the audience as well for being there. And this marks the end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. The fact that you're still here and you're still listening tells me you did enjoy it. And once again, I'd like to remind you, share this podcast, share this episode with your friends, family and colleagues, people who you think will enjoy it. Share it on social media, share it on WhatsApp. This is me, Aditya, signing off. Thank you for your time. You can thank me for mine.